So this morning's reading is on page 1527 of your Bibles, John chapter 10, verses 1 to 42. Page 1527. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord, and I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, He's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts, walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. 
I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, Believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, Though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true, and in that place, many believed in Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks for reading that, Pam. It just made me uh, realise as, as we were reading that, that anyone who's here and, and not very familiar with church might wonder why we talk so much about sheep. We do talk a lot about sheep, and for people who don't own sheep or work with sheep or do anything other than occasionally eat sheep, it is strange. Uh, but the Bible, of course, uses the language of sheep and shepherds uh, quite, uh, quite a lot. It's the, it's the metaphor of choice, and it, it's a great metaphor because it helps us understand who we are and who God and who Jesus indeed is. And so we're going to consider what it means that Jesus is our shepherd this morning, but before we do that, I want to talk about ownership. Now, ownership is pretty important in our society, isn't it? It's a fundamental principle of our world that you can possess things and they can belong to you and, and everyone else will recognize that they are your things. It's what we have to teach our kids this when they're little, don't we? You know, kids see something that they like and they just go, take it. And we have to go, oh, no, 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 that doesn't belong to you. It belongs to someone else. You can't just take it. When you leave a shop, you get a receipt, don't you? It's that, that proof that the goods in your bag now belong to you. They are yours. Ownership is really important in our society. But for all the work that we do to make sure that it's clear who owns what... Ownership is still very much disputed. We have fights over ownership. If you've got kids, you've got, if you've got brothers and sisters, siblings, uh, kids fight with their siblings over who the toy belongs to, don't they? But it's not just kids. 
You go look at the civil courts and you'll see companies fighting with each other over who the intellectual property belongs to. You go to the family court and you have parents who have separated fighting with each other over who the children should belong to. On the battlefield, countries fight with each other over who the land belongs to. Some of the most bitter fighting that you will ever see occurs when two parties both claim ownership of the one thing. Very rarely do we just let someone take what we believe is ours. Ownership is fiercely contested. Now, I saw in the news this week that the Barbie... Oh, that's gone further than I thought. The Barbie movie has been banned in Vietnam. And the reason would probably surprise you, unless you've heard about this story, because the reason that Vietnamese people won't be able to see a film about a much-loved toy is because of that little line that appears on this one crazy world map which appears in just one scene of this film. And that one little line somewhat resembles this line that the Chinese government puts on its maps to assert its ownership of the South China Sea. Now, I don't know if the resemblance is that clear to you. It wasn't to me. Uh, It seems bizarre that there could be such a reaction to this little line on a little map in one scene of a film about a Barbie. Uh, But this dispute between China and Vietnam is so severe, so fierce, that when the Vietnamese government detected just something that indicates support for China's view, the movie's banned. Two parties both claiming ownership of the one thing creates conflict. Well, in our passage today, we see it's all about a fight over ownership. In John 10, which Pam just read for us, we have two parties. We have the Jewish religious leaders and we have Jesus, and they are both claiming to be the owners, the gatekeepers of the people of God. John 10 is all about ownership and Jesus' claim to be the good shepherd is a claim to ownership. And so as we consider Jesus' words this morning, we're going to see that it's actually a hugely significant claim for us. If Jesus is the good shepherd, that has big implications for our lives. And what we're going to see that for us, it can go one of two ways. Either we will do what the Pharisees did and we will dispute Jesus' claim to ownership, we will fight him and the conflict will be bitter, or we will submit to his authority. We will acknowledge his ownership and in him we'll discover life as it was meant to be, life to the full. So that's where we're going this morning. Let me pray and then we'll consider John 10 together. Uh, Father God, please open our eyes to understand your word this morning. Keep us from reacting emotionally against your word, but Lord, by your spirit, enable us to understand and enable us to see that what we read here is good. Please shape us into the people that you would have us be by your word this morning. 
And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've got an outline, uh, you can follow along on the back. But if we're going to understand Jesus' words in John 10, we first need to understand the context, the immediate context. And the immediate context of John chapter 10, well, we've been following this argument that's been occurring between Jesus and the Pharisees. It's been going for quite a few chapters. If you were here last week, uh, Dave preached on John chapter 9, and we read the story of Jesus healing the man who was born blind. But what do we see? Rather than celebrating what Jesus had done, rather than marveling at, at Jesus' miracle, what did the Pharisees do? They, they got angry. They got jealous. They, they launched an investigation. People were beginning to see that Jesus is God in the flesh, that he is the long-awaited Messiah. And so the Pharisees, being jealous, they don't like it. And so they interrogate the blind man. They try to find some reason to dismiss this miracle as not a miracle or to try and discredit Jesus. Now, the blind man doesn't really give the Pharisees what they want, and so they turn to the man's parents. They're reluctant to speak because they're afraid of being kicked out of the synagogue by the Jewish leaders. And so the Pharisees turn back to the blind man. They continue to question him, and chapter 9 ends with this blind man who now sees who Jesus is, both physically and spiritually. His eyes are open that he can see. He's no longer blind, but he also recognizes Jesus. But chapter 9 ends with this man being kicked out of the synagogue, just as his parents feared would happen. The Jewish rulers exercise authority, and effectively they they cut him off from relationship with God, or at least that's what they think they're doing. They're saying, you cannot come to God. You cannot be with God's people. You're booted out of the synagogue. It's in this context of Jewish leaders exercising authority that Jesus starts talking about sheep and shepherds. Now, it's really important. We have just witnessed the Jewish leaders exercising their authority Now, Jesus starts talking about sheep and shepherds. Now, there's a biblical context there. Anytime we read the Bible, we want to consider the immediate context, what we've just done. But we also want to consider the wider biblical context. As I just taught the kids, the the Bible is interconnected. What we read in one place colors and shapes how we read this passage. Now, John 10 is a really perfect example of this. Because when Jesus starts talking about sheep and shepherds, anyone who's even remotely familiar with the Bible knows these are loaded terms. They're significant. Jesus isn't giving out farming advice. He's saying something about who it is that leads God's people. Because in the Bible, a shepherd is a ruler. Now, the most famous example of that, Psalm 23, right? King David says, the Lord is my shepherd. He's saying the Lord is my ruler. But that shepherd image is also used for the human leaders of God's people. In Numbers chapter 27, when when Moses is nearing the end of his life, he, he prays to God 
that he would appoint someone to succeed him, to lead God's people. And he, he prays, God, appoint someone over the community who will lead them, who will lead them out and bring them in, so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. A shepherd is a leader. In Ezekiel chapter 34, God rebukes the leaders of God's people for being greedy and corrupt. He says, woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should you shepherds take, shouldn't you shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals. But you do not care for the flock. All throughout the Bible, God's people are likened to a flock and their rulers are called shepherds. And so in Jesus' day, who are the shepherds? Well, it's the Jewish leaders, the chief priests, the Pharisees. These were the people who led God's people, who taught the people, who exercised authority over the people. They've just used that authority to banish the man who was born blind from the synagogue. They will very soon use that authority to have Jesus arrested and killed. And so it's within this context that Jesus says to these leaders, you are not the shepherds, you're robbers and thieves. You think you are leading God's people, but in reality, you're destroying God's people. And they're destroying them because they're leading the people directly away from the true shepherd. And so at the very moment that the Pharisees are using their authority to lead people away from Jesus, Jesus comes along and he makes his own claim to authority. He says, I am the shepherd of God's people. When Jesus announces himself as the gate, he also says, I'm the gate for the sheep and the shepherd of the sheep. He's making a claim to be the one to whom all of God's people belong. He's not just someone who looks after the sheep, he owns them. That's what John 10 is all about. And so in contrast to the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders who rule according to their own interests, Jesus is the true shepherd, the good shepherd, the one that the sheep listen to and obey and enjoy. That's what John 10 is all about. The remainder of our time this morning, I want us to consider the implications of Jesus' words here. Because when we talk about Jesus being the shepherd, it's really easy for us to go, oh, that's really nice. That makes me feel warm and cuddly. And it is, it is nice. <laughs> Jesus' words are far more significant than that, though. What does it mean for us if Jesus is the true shepherd? Well, first and foremost, sorry, new slide. First and foremost, if Jesus is your shepherd... That means you're not your own. One of the ways that Jesus contrasts himself with the Pharisees, whom he calls hired hands, in verse 12, is that unlike the hired hands, Jesus owns the sheep. They belong to him. 
Now, they belong to him in the sense that he is God and he created them, but they belong to him in an even greater sense in that Jesus paid the price to purchase his people out of slavery. Think about it, friends. If, if, if you're a Christian, there was a time when you didn't belong to God, but then Jesus bought you, and now you are his. He, he's walked out the door and he's got the receipt. You belong to him. And so to every Christian in the world, today or in history, Jesus can legitimately say, she is mine. He belongs to me. And without trying to state the obvious, what that means is that if Jesus owns you, you don't own you. That's how ownership works, right? If you own a car, then I can't own that same car. You own it. Either it's mine or it's not. Either it's yours or it's not. And it's exactly the same way for you. Either you belong to Jesus or you don't. And if you belong to Jesus, then, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, you are not your own. Now, when you're a kid, there's a rule, a rule that applies to everything. It's the rule of finders keepers. Did you have that as a kid? Finders keepers, losers weepers, all right? And that, that's the rule for kids. That it's a universal, everyone understands it. If you see something that you like, if the person who claims to own it isn't touching it, finders keepers, it's mine. Uh, I remember the day that I found out that that didn't really work. I remember the day when uh, it was school holidays, just like we've just had. My mum took me and my friend to the movies. And as we walked through Westfield, Warrawong, we saw a pile of $50 notes just sitting on the floor. And our eyes lit up. Me and my friends saw them. We were excited. Finders, keepers, that's ours. But my mum said, no, it belongs to someone else. And so to my horror, we handed them in. It was a, it was a difficult day for me to see finders, keepers not being applied. Uh, but finders, keepers is a pretty good summary of how most of us treat our lives. You see, we're born into this world. We think, great, look at this life. I've, I've found it. I'll keep it. We claim it for ourselves, finders, keepers. It's mine. I'll do with it what I like. But friends, when you meet Jesus, what finders, keepers begins to unravel. Because when you meet the shepherd, it's then that you realize that this life is not yours at all. It's his and it's a painful lesson for us to learn. It's an offensive idea to many people. You can understand why the Pharisees get so angry with Jesus. You can understand why lots of people today get angry at the claims of Jesus. I heard one preacher who put it like this. Uh, he said, imagine that I came into your house and started claiming your possessions as my own. I walk in, oh, that couch, mine. TV, yeah, that's mine. All the furniture's mine. Your clothes, yeah, I'll have them. They're mine. The photo albums of your family, no, my family now. They're all mine. Your whole house is mine. Your wife, mine. The kids, yeah, they're mine too. What would you do? 
Would you just sit there and go, oh, fair enough, and walk out? No, I doubt it. I hope not. (laughs) You would fight me, right? (laughs) You would dispute. You would get angry. You would do everything in your power to resist my claim. Now, if that's how you would react to someone trying to claim all your worldly possessions, just how, imagine how hard it is to hear Jesus come along and say, everything that you have and everything that you are is mine. Of course that's going to divide people. Of course that's going to get some people angry. Jesus is making a huge claim and he is saying it to you. If the Lord is your shepherd... He owns you. If Jesus is going to be your shepherd, you need to surrender all rights to your life to him. If Jesus is your shepherd, you have an owner. The second implication for us is related to that one, which is that if Jesus is your shepherd, you will listen to his voice. In verse 3, Jesus says, The gatekeeper opens the gate to the shepherd, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them out, all sorry, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Now, in Jesus' day, uh, there were communal sheep pens where a shepherd could bring his flock for the night and then there would be a gatekeeper that would sort of just guard all the sheep. And in the morning, the shepherds would return, the gatekeeper would let them in, and then each shepherd would call their own sheep out from the mass of other shepherds' sheep. His own sheep, knowing his voice, would follow their shepherd. The thing that identifies the sheep is that they listen to the voice of the one they belong to. And so, brothers and sisters, it's the same for Christians. The thing that defines a Christian is that they listen to the voice of Jesus. Now, that actually presents a tremendous challenge for us, doesn't it? See, we live in a world where there are many competing voices. The New Testament teaches us that there are false teachers within the church calling us to follow their ways while they actually lead us away from Christ and his gospel. But it's not just in the church. Outside the church, there are voices that we are tempted to listen to. Voices that call us to abandon our commitment to Jesus and to instead take over ownership from him. The prevailing voice of our culture is to say that no one can tell you what to do. It's your life. You do what you make, what makes you happy. It's your choice. It's your money. It's your body. It's your dreams. But friends, if Jesus is your shepherd, well, his voice will actually silence all those other voices. When Jesus is your shepherd, it is his voice that you must listen to. 
having abandoned all rights to our own lives, we, we must obey his voice. We must let him call the shots. We let him tell us how to live. We let him tell us how to use our money. We let him tell us how to use our bodies. We let him direct our path. Now that's not easy, is it? I suspect that as I say that, some of you even are bristling against that. We, we don't like having someone claim ownership of us. Naturally, we're resistant to being owned. And it doesn't help the fact that in our culture, well, we have a word for when people are owned by other people. We call it slavery. And so it's easy to think that Jesus' claim to be the shepherd is, is just that. It's slavery. It sounds oppressive. It sounds cruel. It does not sound like the words of a loving God. But the last thing we need to see is that living with Jesus as our shepherd, as our owner, is completely and amazingly good. Jesus teaches us here that living with him as our shepherd is exactly how we were meant to live. Life with Jesus as our shepherd is life to the full. Now that's hard to accept, because this kind of ownership is foreign to us, isn't it? We live in a world where almost all authority is corrupt. You've never seen an owner who, who acts for the good of the thing that he owns. You've never seen a leader or ruler, whether it's in government, in the workplace, even in the home. You've never seen a leader who acts only for the good of the people that he leads. Or she leads. You've never seen that. You look around at the leaders that you have, whether they be our government leaders, your boss at work, they all act for their own interests. They all have divided interests. They are not only acting for your good, which is why we get leaders who are ruthless, we get leaders who are oppressive, we get shepherds who fleece the sheep. Sadly, that's true even in churches. The idea of a leader who acts for the good of his people is foreign to us. And so Jesus' claim, well, it looks like a bad thing. But friends, Jesus is the good shepherd. Now in Greek, there's two words which are translated as good. The first word describes something that is, is fit for purpose, something that's not broken. A, a Toyota Hilux is that kind of good, right? It's fit for purpose. It works. It gets the job done. The other kind of good, and that's the one that Jesus is using here, it's the word for something that is desirable, something beautiful. It's not just functionally good, it's, it's something that you want, so the Toyota Hilux is functionally good. The other kind of good is like the Lamborghini. It's not just that it works. It's a thing of beauty, a thing that you desire, you marvel at and enjoy. That's the kind of good that Jesus, the good shepherd, is. He is desirable, lovely, beautiful, the kind of shepherd 
that you want. Because unlike the rulers of our age, unlike the spiritual leaders of his age, Jesus is a leader who only acts for the good of the sheep. Now, just let that sink in. Think about who Jesus is. He is God. He is the one who created this whole universe and he acts for your good, always. He is devoted to you. He's committed to you. So much so that he laid his own life down willingly for you. So much so that he promises that once you belong to him, he will never let you go. He will use all power at his disposal to ensure that you are safe forever. Have a look in verse 27. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Friends, do do you see what it means to belong to Jesus? It means having life as it was meant to be lived. It means enjoying Him and it means being safe forever because there is no one who can exercise any power that might take you out of his hands. That's good. And so friends, the the question is, will you let Jesus be your shepherd? Here in John 10, we see Jesus' claim to ownership and there are those like the Pharisees who resist it, who oppose it, who ultimately reject it. They reject it so much that not for the first time they attempt to kill Jesus. Not for the last time either, obviously. And friends, then there are those who believe. Those who surrender control to him. Those who humble themselves and let themselves be owned by Jesus. Friends, will you let him own you? Will you listen to his voice? Will you let his word be the authority for how you live? Will you follow him and find life to the full? Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for this word. We thank you for Jesus' claim to be the good shepherd, the one who lays his life down for the sheep. But even as we consider it, we recognize it is a claim to ownership, which means it is a call for us to surrender control to him. Father, that's not an easy thing for us to do. And so we ask that you would give us the will to lay our life down, to surrender control to Jesus. Help us see that it is far better for us to belong to him than to attempt to be a sheep that goes it alone. Help us see how good it is that we can belong to the flock, that we can be among the many that Jesus calls to belong to him. But most of all, help us to see how good it is that Jesus is our shepherd, 
that he calls us, that he knows us by name, that he leads us out and brings us in. And that ultimately he lays down his life, surrenders his power so that we might live forever with him. Lord, take away any resistance in our hearts. Take away any, uh, any feeling that we have that, we, that it would be better without Jesus. Lord, may we surrender to Jesus, our shepherd, and in him find life. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, the good shepherd. Amen.